Hey everybody, welcome to episode 154 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. Excited to be back with you as we dedicate an entire episode to the now-retired but the ever-great Shalane Flanagan who announced her retirement this past Monday on October 21st. And we've got a whole episode dedicated to Shalane. And what I'm going to do with this episode is actually break down the top 10 things we can learn ourselves to apply in our own training from Shalane's career. Before we get there, I've got a few current events to talk about or at least updates to chat with you about. The first, I do want to point you to the Clean Sport Collective podcast, episode 17 that I just recorded this past week and posted on Sunday. In that episode, we actually had a panel discussion this time talking about shoes, talking about the Nike Vaporfly, the Next Percents, the Alpha Fly that Kipchoge used in his Breaking 2 effort. And I've got Ryan Hall, Kara Goucher, and Alex Hutchinson from of Sweat Science fame on that podcast talking about the shoes and whether or not they're performance enhancing and whether or not something should be done about them. And uh, I'm just a pure moderator in that one. So if you'd like to hear the perspectives of those three individuals on this highly controversial topic on shoe technology, then please jump over to episode 17 of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. You can find that pretty much in all places that podcasts are distributed, including the podcast app and Spotify and Stitcher and Google Podcasts and all the things. So go check that out. If you haven't already, and I'd also encourage you to listen to some of the previous episodes we've had there. As I've mentioned before, our last, I want to say six in particular, really powerful. We just interviewed Tyler Hamilton for those that are cycling fans and got his perspectives on the drug problem in cycling, including his own whistleblowing against Lance Armstrong, we also had Allison Felix, Alicia Montano, we had Karen Adam as well, talking about their experience associated with the Alberto Salazar case, so lots of good podcasts there, please go check it out, and and give us a listen, subscribe. In addition, a couple other things in marathoning news, we've got to talk about, of course, the New York Marathon coming up this coming weekend. I'll be out in New York on Wednesday and Thursday. I'll be getting to go to at least some of the press press events again in New York. I'll be back in Texas by the weekend because I'm racing this Sunday. But I will get to cover some of the events there. And, of course, I'll be giving you my perspectives and previews on New York coming out this Friday. So stay tuned for that. I'll have a, a special preview and prediction episode after my trip to New York. That'll get posted on Friday, and then, of course, I'll give you all the recap afterwards. So that's coming. And then the the bit of current events and news that we should talk about relates to marathoning as well, which is that the Olympic marathon has been moved from Tokyo next summer to the town of Sapporo, which is a town in northern Japan, about 500 kilometers north 310 miles or so north of Tokyo so that they can seek better weather for the Olympic marathons as well as the Olympic long distance race walks. So that change has been announced and those 
races will no longer happen in Tokyo where they anticipated having significantly warm temperatures, not quite Doha level conditions, but similar to that. And so the IOC was trying to find a way to find better conditions and they've just decided to move the marathon north. Apparently, the temperatures will be about 30 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit cooler at that higher latitude. So that's the reason why they've decided to make that shift. So the weather isn't as big a factor. But the IOC apparently made that decision without telling the local organizing committee in Tokyo. And so we've now had this very odd media exchange going back and forth between the IOC and the Tokyo Organizing Committee in Japan debating whether or not this move has happened and whether or not it's official and so it's still possible that this could change because the IOC the International Olympic Committee is saying it's a final decision we're going to do this for the sake of the athletes and then the local organizing committee in Tokyo is saying something different I think IOC, the international organization, holds the trump card here, but it doesn't seem like necessarily the the fight is finished on this. So we will see. But as of right now, it's been announced that the Olympic marathons and the Olympic race walks have been moved to Sapporo. They won't be raced in Tokyo, which means we'll get better conditions, but it also means that those athletes will no longer be finishing inside the Olympic Stadium which was the original plan. And so now we've had a mix of reactions from the potential athletes who might competing there. We have, you know, had Des tweet about the idea of, of missing that opportunity to finish inside the Olympic Stadium, which is obviously a poignant finish line or finish opportunity for the marathon. So she tweeted about that. We've had other people talk about how their families have already booked trips to Tokyo and might now have to reroute north to figure out how to get to Sapporo versus Tokyo. Don't know the logistics on that. So that's a challenge that has been brought up by some athletes. And then, of course, there are some that I think are welcoming the change because because of the cooler weather and potential to have a purer competition where the heat isn't as big a factor. So... That's all happening in the news, and we will see how things shake out. But as of right now, the Olympic marathons will not be taking place in Tokyo. They'll be 500 kilometers, 310 miles north in the town of Sapporo, Japan. And we will see if that holds. So for so with that, as a bit of current events and a few updates, let's jump into my ode to Shalane Flanagan. Again, we're going to talk about the top 10 things that you can learn for your own training by looking at looking back at Shalane's career. Before we dive into that top 10 list, I want to give a little bit of a recap on Shalane's career and the accolade, accolades that make it so great. You know, her success started in college where she won three NCAA titles including two NCAA cross-country titles as well as one indoor 3k title interestingly she did not have an outdoor track championship in the NCAA she did finish second in the 5k her 
her last year at North Carolina, but did not actually win an outdoor title, at least outdoor track title in college. And then, of course, her career post-collegially is well-documented and very storied. She won 18 national U.S. titles, evenly split, actually, across cross-country, track, and the roads, which I think is pretty impressive. She had six national cross six national cross country titles, six national road racing titles, and then six national track titles in a variety of events, including indoor and outdoor. Of course, she had a Olympic silver medal from the 2008 Games, which was originally a bronze, and we'll talk a little bit about that event specifically as we get into the top 10 things we can learn from Shalane because I was actually in the stadium watching that as it happened. She earned a bronze on the day, but then that was later upgraded to a silver. She finished third at World Cross in 2011 on, so on the podium there, which is, as we've talked about in the, on the podcast before, World Cross is probably the toughest the toughest medal to earn in the world. So that was a huge accomplishment for her. And then she has four World Marathon major podium finishes, including three at New York and then a third place in Berlin. At New York, of course, she has her win from 2017, but she also finished second in her marathon debut at New York in 2010. And then, of course, last year finished third in her last New York in 2018 to complete her set of one from each spot on the podium at New York. She's a four-time Olympian, having competed in Athens, Beijing, London, and Rio. She's the third fastest marathoner all time in the U.S., having run a 221 just behind Jordan Hesse's current PR, as well as, of course, Dina Castor's American record. She still holds four American records, two for indoor track events and two actually for road events, the 10K and the 15K road distances. She holds those American records. And, of course, she's held other records in the past, including the 10K track American record, which is now held by Molly Huddle. And to top it all off, of course, she is... A New York Times bestseller twice over, having reached that list for both her, both of her cookbooks, Run Fast, Eat Slow, as well as Run Fast, Cook Fast, Eat Slow. And if you haven't already checked out, checked out those cookbooks, would highly recommend them. So those accolades are pretty impressive, especially the breadth. I mean, she has not only had success from cross-country to track to roads, but also across multiple disciplines and a huge range of disciplines, having American records in the indoor 3K all the way up to the third fastest marathon time in the U.S. of all time. And And she's had success at all of those levels. And it's just... It's impressive, and she's also done it with an incredible amount of consistency from year to year, where she hasn't had major slumps in her career. Yeah, she's had a few injuries, but has always bounced back relatively quickly. And that is Shalane's legacy, and it puts her 
in the conversation for the greatest U.S. female distance runner of all time, although I don't really want to have that debate here. The other names you would have to mention there are Dina Castor, of course, Lynn Jennings, as well as Joan Benoit Samuelson. And I'm not sure where Shalane fits in that mix if somebody were to rank. I haven't really let myself go to that debate. But she's certainly one of the greatest U.S. distance runners of all time, period, male or female, and is is worthy of celebrating for that fact alone. She's also just done it with pure class. Pure class, always professional, and I think is, is a model for all of us to emulate. And some of you might be asking, well, how in the world... Can I relate to someone with Shalane's talent and Shalane's resume? I'm different. I'm not Shalane. I clearly wasn't born with two parents who have run ridiculous marathon times, including her mother, who was a world record holder, and her dad, who ran a 218 in the marathon. So she has the genetics of an elite athlete, clearly. And so you might ask yourself, well, how are you going to relate that to me? And as I've talked about many times on this podcast, to me, that is the magic of our sport. And it's the fact that no matter how fast you are, no matter what your goals are, you can do cool and big things and we can all learn from each other. Because at the end of the day, if you're suffering in the middle of a 10K, a half marathon or a marathon, that suffering looks the same regardless of how fast you are and what the stakes are. And so for that reason and for other reasons, I think we can look at Shalane's career and figure out, okay, how can I apply some of those lessons to my own training? And so that's what I'm going to try to do. Top 10 things I'm going to pull as models for us that we can emulate from Shalane in order to be faster versions of ourselves. And so the first one is just that point I've already made, which is that her consistency is one of the things that has made her great. And consistency in this sport over periods of not just weeks or months, but over years and decades is really what it's all about. That's how you get to your peak, to your peak potential. And if you look at Jolene's career, not only was she relatively consistent in training in college, but also pretty darn consistent once she made the transition post-collegiately. And then, obviously, that continued throughout her career. And it's, it's actually really, really impressive if you look at the U.S. titles, just U.S. titles that she won. She won her first U.S. title in 2004 in cross country and then went on to win a cross country title in 05, 07, 08, 2010, 2011, 2013. And then if you look at her track titles, her first was earned in 2005 and she went on to finish her her last track US title was 2013 but she finished second in 2015 at the track trials 
And then, of course, she won road titles all the way from 2007 to 2016. And then, you know, her accolades continue well beyond that, obviously winning New York in 2017, getting back on the podium in 2018. And if you look at her performance in U.S. championships, she was on a podium between 2013 and 2016 every single year whether it be road cross country or track for US competing for US titles she was on a podium every single year between 2013 and 2016 except for 2006 where she had a foot injury that that affected her her ability to compete that year and so what is that? That's 14 years, 2003 to 2016, 14 years where all but one year she was a top three U.S. athlete in one of those different events. And so, and then really reached the pinnacle of her career in 2017 when she won New York. And, and that was... 15 years after graduating from college in 2003 or 14 and a half years after graduating from college in 2003. And so it just shows you that consistency over time, not only the ability to kind of consistently train, but also the ability to stay relatively injury free. I mean, her, her really only blips in training came as I said in 2006 when she had the foot injury and she was bouncing back from that and then in 2017 when she had a back injury that required her to miss Boston that year the spring marathon and then eventually she would come back for New York and win just six months after that so but other than that just consistently doing work day after day, week after week, year after year, and all of that led to an accumulation in training that would eventually put her at the pinnacle of her career, that capstone moment of winning New York in 2017. And if you just look at the marathon side of the equation, I mean, she did her first marathon in New York in 2010, and then after six years of work there, ended up on the podium in 2017, and of course, podium again in 2018 so just consistent work and we know that there was a whole lot that went in behind the scenes to make that happen to stay healthy along the way the coaching the guidance the hard work all of those things and that's what allowed her to maintain that consistency but it just in my opinion puts perspective on this idea of training and improvement and running because most of us want it to happen in short windows and we might be looking at a single training cycle where we're going for a PR in a given race that might be three four five months down the road and while that those those micro views those short-term views are an important thing to focus on in the moment you also have to realize that this is a long-term game you're playing And if you're as consistent as you can be for more than a decade and a half for Shalane, then you're going to continue to see improvement and you'll continue to seek your potential 
if you're able to string together that kind of work. And again, it doesn't mean it has to be perfect, but because Shalane, as we talked about, had some blips here and there with injury, or I'm sure there were periods where she wasn't 100% on top of her game. But what matters is not those little blips. What matters is string together consistent work over as long a period of time as you can and that consistent work compounds to eventually help you reach a higher place if you're willing to commit to it and just keep plugging away long term that's where the true magic is that's where your equivalent New York City marathon win lands it's after long periods of doing this work and again that doesn't mean you don't have short-term goals Of course, that's an important part of the equation, but what's more important to reaching your absolute potential is just stringing together consistent work over longer and longer periods of time. And for us, it may not look like running 120 miles a week as Shalane was known to do. It's going to look like whatever it looks like in your world scaled to your, your goal, your world and the balance that you have to create. But if you keep stringing together those 20-mile weeks or those 40-mile weeks or those 50-mile weeks or those 70-mile weeks, whatever it may be for you, if you keep stringing them together, you'll continue to get better and your equivalent New York City Marathon win will come. So that's number one to me lesson from Shalane is just consistent work over a long long period of time. And then number two, for number two, I actually go to my my friend and co-host with the Clean Sport Collective podcast, Kara Goucher, and I was talking to her about this topic, and we were exchanging some texts about Shalane, and I asked her, I said, what's the number one thing you learned from her? And she wrote back the following. She said, professionalism. She took every workout very professionally. What she ate the night before, the time she went to bed. She was always early for an easy run to stretch and go through her warm-up routine. She's definitely the most professional athlete I've ever worked with. Of course, Shalane and Kara were training partners leading up to the Rio Olympics where they were competing both in the the marathon there. And so that's... That's And we know Kara is a professional, so that's pretty high praise coming from her to call Shalane the most professional athlete I've ever worked with. So with that, it then leads to a question. Well, what does professionalism look like for a runner that's not professional? And to me, that question is going to be answered a little bit differently by everyone. And there's obviously gradients of quote-unquote professionalism and how you treat your training. But the way I look at it, if you're going to invest as much time as we do in training for what we train for, whether you're going for a PR, maybe you're just looking to cover the distance for the first time, maybe you're trying to get a Boston qualifier, if you're going to invest so much time, money, and energy in those goals, why wouldn't you want to do everything you can to get the most out of it? So professionalism to me in the context of an everyday runner looks like the elements around the running. It's controlling the elements around the running and giving yourself the best opportunity to succeed 
at those elements. And that doesn't mean necessarily doing everything perfect. doesn't mean spending eight hours a day on the craft like Shalane might have the opportunity to do as a professional runner. But what it does mean is giving your giving yourself the best opportunity to succeed, to succeed given your constraints. And so you know, I think Kara mentioned some examples of the fact that Shalane would always get a good night's sleep and manage what she was eating the night before a big day. And to me, that's something that a lot of us could be better at. You know, what are we doing the night before a big long run? What are we doing the night before a big workout? And those aren't happening every single week. But you know, if you're if you have experience in this game, you know the workouts that are a little bit scary. You know the long runs that are a little bit scary. And the question is, are you doing everything you can to put your best forward best foot forward? on those workouts are you eating things that will support your workout and or not drinking things i think in some cases that will support your workout are you getting up early a little bit early so that you can be ready and in the right frame of mind to execute the workout or are you going to bed a little bit early the night before so that you can get the most sleep that you can the night before these big workouts or big long runs Are you doing those things to give yourself the best opportunity to get the most out of your training on those days? You know you're going to do it before the race, so why wouldn't you also do it and practice those things right before those big key sessions in your training? And again, it's not every single time, and you don't have to live like a monk, but you do want to give yourself the best opportunity to succeed on those challenging days. And again, I think for everybody that looks a little bit different in terms of those things that you have to manage. But to me, being a professional and following Shalane's advice here is really about the details. It's about the little things and asking yourself, am I doing all the little things that I can do to give myself the best possible training outcomes? We've already mentioned some examples, eating the right meal the night before, going to bed a little bit early, getting up a little bit early so that you're not rushed rushed and stressed, getting ready for that final long run. It could mean, are you spending that little bit of time on the foam roller after a run to help manage the issue that's always cropping up for you, wherever it may be, or perhaps jumping on the foam roller at night while you're watching some Netflix episodes to, you know, to make sure you're working out the kinks in your training for some of you it might mean getting a massage on a regular basis for others it could mean doing that strength work that you know is important to you to stay healthy and injury free and for everybody i think those those details the formula that supports your running might look a little bit different but are you managing those things and are you consistent in managing those things because if you are those little one percents, then they add up to really make a difference long term and help support the consistency that we talked about with that first thing that we mentioned. So number one was consistency over a long period of time. Number two 
professionalism and really managing those details and making sure that you've got those things dialed in. And in order to have the success that Shalane had for the consistent time period that she did, no doubt that professionalism was so, so important. So those are the first two. Third thing we want to talk about that we learned from Shalane is that especially for marathoners, I would argue for all runners, but especially for marathoners, miles matter. If you look back to the earlier part of Shalane's career, she was working with Coach John Cook, who had a little bit of a different philosophy around his training, where obviously he felt mileage was important, but he actually kept Shalane's miles down a little bit relative to where she is or was today or closer to her retirement, where she was doing, from what I understand, about 70 miles a week working with Coach Cook, really emphasizing strength, ancillary work, drills, mobility work, a lot of body weight exercises and and other exercises they would do around their running and around their workouts with their quality sessions really focused on the high end quality, the speed elements. And granted, at that time in her career, she was more of a 5K, 10K runner than a marathoner. But when she made the switch in 2009, after getting a medal at the Olympics with Coach Cook, she talked about the fact that she needed to become a higher mileage runner in order to transition up to the marathon and really ultimately to get her goals accomplished at that distance. So that's part of the reason why she made that shift from Cook after having success in the 08 Olympics to eventually Jerry Schumacher with what became the Bowerman Track Club because she needed to add mileage to her program, not only her weekly mileage, but also volume to her workouts in doing much longer workouts so that she could adapt as a marathoner. So Shalane went from running against roughly around 70, 75 miles a week under Cook to eventually consistently sustaining 115, 120 miles a week under Schumacher, that's an increase of more than 50% over where she was earlier in her career. And that change didn't happen overnight. And actually, particularly as she transitioned from Cook to Schumacher, she had a little bit of a lull. And I'll put that word in air quotes because a lull for Shalane is pretty good for most people. But a little bit of a lull in her career as she made that transition to higher mileage that eventually would pay off with a really solid and consistent marathon career. So that's point number three, is that if you can increase your mileage from whatever your starting point, that is going to have long-term impact, especially for the marathoners. Again, I would argue that that's true for really any distance runner that's competing in the 5K or, or greater. But it's especially true for those marathoners. If you want to have success in the marathon, you've got to increase your volume. And I've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast before about how volume impacts you as a runner. But I'll say it again. It it literally that easy volume built over time done in the context of whatever your starting point and and gradually increasing that so that you're not overdoing it that build in volume actually works to change your physiology, literally change your body's makeup from the inside out so that you can process more oxygen to your working muscles and therefore run faster. 
And there's a lot of physiological changes that come with those, with that transition, with that change, with that physiology change from more mitochondria in your cells to literally more capillaries in your working muscles to more red blood cells in your bloodstream to your ability for those red blood cells to carry oxygen improves to your lungs ability to pass oxygen into the bloodstream improves to your lungs overall capacity and ability and ability to take in air improves all of those improvements happen as you increase volume and they will happen more dramatically the higher your volume can be again you have to put that in context of whatever your starting point is so if you're running 10 miles a week now if you can gradually increase that to 15 miles a week and then at some point 20 miles a week and then maybe 25 miles a week done over a period of time or if you're starting at 30 build eventually to 50 those types of transitions done gradually and then consistently will make you a faster runner. And I think Shalane is a perfect example of that. I don't think Shalane would be the marathoner she has become without that transition from a Coach Cook style program to a Coach Schumacher style program. I think that allowed her to eventually achieve the success that she had in New York winning in 2017. I think it also helped her have the success that she did in 2010, in November of 2010, where she got second in her marathon debut. So that's lesson number three from Shalane. And again, her mileage is much higher than most of ours will ever be. But if you can increase your mileage, you can also reach your potential just like Shalane did. So that's number three. Number four, I think the number four lesson we can learn from Shalane, and I think we take this can take this from her cookbook, Run Fast, Eat Slow, is that a simple, balanced diet incorporating whole foods, in easy homemade recipes like she has in her book is really the ticket to being successful as an athlete, to performing. And while many want to espouse sort of one-dimensional or fad diets or extreme perspectives on diet, I think her cookbook shows you that if you have just a simple, balanced perspective and you're making easy meals at home with whole foods and and good ingredients then you can have success without having to spend a ton of time in the kitchen there's a quote from her book where she talks about how the u.s is overfed undernourished and running on empty because of how we consume processed foods without a lot of variety without the nutrition and the nutrients that come with eating whole foods and a a, a variety of whole foods and so i would encourage you to check out chelaine's cookbook both versions really especially if you're if you need faster recipes that second one is a great book run fast cook fast eat slow but 
either way, to me, that's the formula. If you want to think about diet as an improvement opportunity for you, cooking more from Shalane's cookbook, I think, would be a big step in the right direction because of the focus there on balanced whole food based diets that come with her book. So that's number four. Number five, number five lesson from Shalane, group training. I actually went back and found an old interview of Shalane's where she was talking about her transition from Coach Cook's group to Coach Schumacher's group. And she talked about when she came out of school in 2003 from the University of North Carolina, there weren't really a lot of groups. Meb and Dina and a small group around them were training in Mammoth, getting ready for the 2004 Olympics where Dina and Meb both medaled. But there weren't really these groups that you have now and... And so she talked about when she was making that transition to Schumacher's group, going from another group with Coach Cook where she had Shannon Robry and Aaron Donahue and others around her. She talked about the impact of training with people and having others to push you and having others to hold you accountable. And when she joined Jerry's group, she at the time was the first female that joined the Bowerman Track Club. And Jerry Schumacher had come over from the University of Wisconsin. He was a collegiate coach there. And he had brought a bunch of athletes with him from the University of Wisconsin, including Evan Jager, Chris Selinski, Matt Tegenkamp, and others. And they had formed the Bowman Track Club, but it was an all-male group. And Shalane was the first one to join, the first female. And so what we know as, as the Bowerman Babes today didn't exist. Shalane was the pioneer. And she has talked in the past about how she said, hey, she went to Jerry and said, I want to, I want to need training partners, bring in some other women to help me. And that gradually happened over time to the point where now that group, the Bowerman, Bowerman Babes is probably the, the best female group in the country to train with. And she talks about how the, the, the dynamic, the power of that group really helps her, has helped her raise her game in fact in her SI interview with Chris Chavez that came out around her retirement she said she said this she said group training has really elevated our success everyone pretty much trained alone back then we're racing we are racing competition within our own training groups and competing for spots to make teams and for medals the only group I saw that is similar to what's going on now when I came out is the Mammoth Rat Club with Dina Castro and Meb Kofleski. They were the only group that trained together, and even then, Dina had to train with a bunch of men. She wasn't really surrounded by a bunch of women. They had the accountability of each other, but they were teammates. They were teammates, but they weren't pushing each other in workouts. So she had gone to Jerry, and she said, hey, I need teammates. And eventually they brought in Iowa State product Lisa Cole at the time, now Lisa Yule, and she didn't last very long with the program, but then came Amy Hastings Craig, Kara Goucher joined the group for a bit. Colleen Quigley was one of the early members. And then of course now the group is much, much bigger and and has that true group dynamic 
with a bunch of women that I think Shalane was talking about in Dina's group with Meb. And that clearly, I think, has elevated her game. And she's talked in the past how it's also kept her motivated to help help educate, coach, mentor those younger athletes who are also pushing her on the track and keeping her keeping her honest, keeping her fast, keeping keeping that speed active in her world. And you know, as we've said before on this podcast, running is only a solo sport if you let it be. And I know not everybody has access to the great the best training groups maybe in their local area, but you can still get access to groups by training virtually for example with the running rogue podcast and we'll be opening up for season five starting in december so stay tuned for that coming up as we'll have training starting in december and early january for races in the spring but there are other virtual options as well so and even if you don't have you know groups with specific coaches find a team a group of people of peers of neighbors of friends who can help hold you accountable and get you out there doing workouts together because I promise you can push yourself more in a group than you can on your own and I think Shalane is a perfect example of that and she's someone who basically had to take initiative to start her own group within the context of the Schumacher world there at the Bowerman Track Club by saying hey bring in other athletes and they did and that has grown and she's been a, a, a huge and key part of that. So that's number five, group training, absolutely critical. Then if we go to number six, this one gets towards the mental side of things as Shalane talks about her perspective on comparing and how that can be destructive. So she had this to say, she said, to me, it's not about all about being fast. It's about finding your best self. I'm out there, yes, I'm trying to beat other people. But I think a lot of athletes just want to find their true potential, whatever that potential is. I think it's important to not always compare yourself. Go internal and say, am I maximizing myself on this day? Once people let go of the comparisons, they can actually realize I'm a great athlete and I'm doing the best I can. That's a victory in and of itself. That's good advice on a really tough topic. I know it's hard not to compare yourself to others especially in the context of running where you see results happening all the time. And, you know, for me as a coach, I often see the tension in athletes who might not be progressing at the same pace of a teammate. And that can be hard to watch because while simultaneously I know they're happy for their teammate, they can't help but make that comparison and wonder what is wrong with me that I'm not progressing at that same pace. And, Really, the truth is there's nothing wrong with you. We all progress at different paces for different reasons. And so the more, and I think especially outside the the elite world, the more you can not compare yourself to others, the better you can be. Learn from others, but don't compare yourself to others. And that will help you or or anyone to put the focus on where it needs to be which is as Shalane said becoming the best version of yourself so quit comparing focus on the work that you need to do to be the best version of you and you will get there and it's just it's just simply not productive 
to to make those comparisons and you know you might be wondering well how in the world was Shalane comparing herself to others well in the US she was maybe the top to top dog so to speak but she probably couldn't help but compare herself to other people around the world to those that she's competing with on the global stage or at world marathon majors who might be beating her and so yeah there's always somebody to compare yourself to if whether you know, regardless of where you're competing and at what level you're competing and i'm sure she would look to those east african runners that were beating her in major marathons and say goodness should i be doing something that they're doing and i'm not or something like that and you know if you let yourself get too far down that rabbit hole or or too far lost in those comparisons it just becomes destructive and self-defeating and creates a negative halo around your training versus accepting where you are focusing on what focusing on what you need to do to to be the best version of you and that will ultimately lead to the outcomes you want to you reaching your potential if you give yourself a chance so that's number six stop comparing yourself Number seven, Shalane also had a hallmark of always going back to the shorter and faster work from the marathon. And I think that's one reason why she was able to win the marathon in 2017, because every summer, for the most part, but sometimes in the winter, spring for cross, she would go back to the short and fast stuff. I mean, if you look at her track titles again i think i mentioned this earlier but she finished second in the 2003 u.s outdoor championships just after she had graduated from college and ultimately she finished second in the 2015 10k championships 12 years later to qualify for a world team in 2015 and she kept she kept going back to it even after her injury in 2017 and before she raced New York that fall and won she went back to the track and actually I believe finished fourth in the the 10k championships in the 2017 US champs and and just kept kept going back to those shorter distances maintaining that speed and I think that's something for sure that all of us road marathoners and half marathoners can learn from, learn from and relate to. If you're not spending at least one season out of the year working on shorter, faster stuff, then you're not going to be a faster half marathoner or marathoner. That's just the way it works. You will find a plateau. You will not reach your potential in those longer distances unless you invest time and I would argue at least one cycle a year in the short stuff, in the speed track. Now, that doesn't mean that maybe there is a year here or there where you might do a couple marathons, maybe not get that work in. But that should be a rare exception. The, the, the rule should be that you spend at least one cycle working the 5K, 10K distances so that and I would argue also even the half marathon distance for those that prefer marathons 
so that you're able to develop your potential at all levels because the faster you can run a 5k the faster you can run a marathon the faster you can run a 10k the faster you can run a marathon same is true for the half marathon so it's critical that you invest time at all distances in order to be your best self over the longer distances and i think shalane is a perfect example of that had she not invested the time that she did running outdoor tracks, sometimes running indoor tracks, sometimes doing indoor track meets. Later in her career, she would help pace teammates on on the track so that they could get their goals. She always invested in the speed. And I know Jerry's, that's a big part of his program for marathoners is making sure you keep those quote-unquote fast twitch muscles active. And there's a, But there's a lot of everyday half marathoners and marathoners who aren't doing that, who are afraid of those shorter distances and it's fine you can be afraid of them if you want but if you're willing to step into that fear train for the short stuff you will become a faster half marathoner or marathoner just the way it works so don't forget to spend at least one cycle a year there it will pay off so that's number seven always go back to the shorter faster work even amidst marathon and half marathon training Number eight, Shalane faced injury and still came back stronger. And so there might be some of you listening now that are in the midst of injury or maybe just came out of injury and are building back. And I think it's cool to look back at the major injuries in Shalane's career and see that on the back of it, she had also a major breakthrough. If you look at 2006-2007, when she was dealing with a major foot injury, she then came back in 2008 and earned her first and only Olympic medal. And then if you look at 2017, when she won her first major marathon in New York, earlier that year she had a fracture in her back that kept her out of spring marathons. She was supposed to do Boston that year but had to drop out eventually came back and earned her first major marathon win in November of that same year. So it just goes to show you that injury, while it sucks and while it can be hard on you mentally and, man, it's a drag when you're in it, it can become a springboard for breakthrough on the other side because you're able to learn from that injury, get stronger through it, maybe shift focus a little bit so that you can come back stronger. I know in 2017, after the back injury, she was able to take some time, then have a more complete kind of track season that year to work on the faster end of the spectrum before she came back to the marathon in November. That may or may not have been true had she finished Boston and then had to come back from recovery there. So, Injury is always a teacher, and oftentimes if you listen to the lessons of injury, stay committed through it, and learn from the mistakes you made maybe to get injured, then you can come back stronger and still have a breakthrough on the other side. So that's an important lesson, but it's hard in the middle of injury to remember that maybe your fastest times are still ahead when you're not able to run in the moment. So keep that in mind 
Shalane bounced back from injury and ended up with an Olympic medal and a major marathon win. If that's true for her, then you can bounce back from injury and get that PR, that BQ, that breakthrough in the races that you're training for. So that's number eight. You can come back from injury stronger. Number nine, I take from her racing and this idea that no matter how a race is going, and especially if you think it's not going well, keep your head down and just keep working. To me, her race in 2008 in the Olympics is the perfect example of this. She, that race, first of all, started poorly. She ended up getting food poisoning, had stomach issues going into race day, where apparently she was having trouble keeping anything down or in and was really sick in the days leading up to that race in Beijing and came to race day not really knowing what she was going to get for her, her body because of that because of that sickness in the immediate days before but in some ways i think for her that also took some pressure off because she knew that hey it might not be her day so just show up get what you can and do your best and see what happens and I actually had the opportunity to be in the stands watching in 2008 in the bird's nest in Beijing and got to see all the track sessions that Olympics, which was really, really cool. I highly recommend going to an Olympic track a session if you can at any point. So I was in the stands. The 10K was the longest or the last event, I should say, of the night. So it was getting a little bit late. And I remember those those track sessions would end between 10.30 and 11 p.m. at night, China time. So and they usually end pretty late. 10K was the last session. You had a lot of women on the track. In fact, so many women on the track that they had to have two different start sections. So they had a group of women starting on the inside three lanes. And then another group of women starting on the outside three lanes. Staggered, of course, to make up for the distance. But it was just a it was a big 10,000 meter final and the race went out hard. The pace was honest from the beginning. The, the leaders went out in three K sorry, in three minutes per K pace, which was basically Olympic record pace right from the beginning. And Turnish Dababa would end up winning in 2954, basically essentially holding that pace throughout the entire 10,000 meters. So it went out hard and Shalane was on the back of that front group for a little bit, but then she got gapped at one point when some surges started happening up front and probably had a 50 meter gap between her and the very front group. And then there was another group behind her of which Kara Goucher was a member and she ended up finishing 10th on the day now upgraded to 9th and so Shalane kind of got stuck in no women's land so to speak and was running in 10th place as of about the halfway point in the race and in the stadium the vibe was just interesting because because it was late because the the number of women on the track and because the hot early pace it became very confusing pretty quickly to figure out who was in what place because you had women lapping other women 
really early in the race and everybody was kind of all over the place on the track and then the groups were strung out you had this front group and then you had Shalane 50 meters back and a handful of other runners in there and then another chase group that was probably another 30 to 40 meters back of Shalane and so it was just impossible to know unless you're really paying attention what was going on and it seemed to me that for that reason the crowd started becoming disinterested and you kind of heard a low mumble of people kind of just talking amongst themselves about other things. Of course, as a track nerd, I was super glued in watching Shalane. I was a little disappointed early on because of that hot early pace and because it did seem like there's no way she could medal based on how the race was playing out. And, you know, again, at halfway she was running 10th and then would eventually have that 50-meter gap. So the hopes were low that she could actually pull things off and this was for me the highlight of the the night was watching the women's 10,000 meter and so so there she was Shalane about 50 meters back of the front group just running her race though you know yeah she got gapped yes there was some space but she just kept clicking off miles and you could see the determination on her face where she just had her eyes fixed ahead and and then, you know, again, starting at about 10th place halfway, she gradually began to work her way up. And it was at times hard to f- to see exactly whether or not she was gaining ground, but she gradually started to gain ground. And then the women, some of the women off that front group started to fall off as they succumbed to that hot early pace. And so gradually Shalane just started passing person after person, moving into ninth and then eighth and then seventh and then sixth and then fifth, and then fourth, and then with about 400 meters to go, she passed into third place, and during this progression, over the final 4K or so, as she started to make these passes, I was watching it, and kind of getting a little bit more excited, and I was cheering, go Shalane, screaming at the top of my lungs, and it started to get more excited, and I was standing, and 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 just getting progressively a little bit crazier and the crowd around me from all different places you know international crowd around me was kind of looking at me wondering what the hell is this American guy so excited about but of course I was gradually more excited about Shalane moving up through the field and then as she entered that third place spot with about again about 400 meters to go I think slightly less than that I was screaming at that point by the top at the top of my lungs, go Shalane. And she would eventually nab that third place spot by about four seconds over Lynette Masai, who ended up fourth. But when Shalane crossed the line, she held up three fingers and looked at the officials track side and basically was asking, did I get third? Did I get third? Because she even she was confused about her place given the chaos on the track and of course they confirmed that she got third and then she just kind of doubled over in in I think shock disbelief and emotion realizing that she'd earned that bronze which has now been upgraded to silver and and obviously as someone who got to see it it was it was a goosebump inducing race to watch and I still get goosebumps even thinking about it just really, really cool to see the fact that she just never quit. You know, she had every reason to quit. 
10th place down 40 or 50 meters, you know, past the halfway point. But she didn't. And she just kept running her pace and and just stayed in it. And gradually that pace that she was able to sustain gradually picked people off. And, and it wasn't so much her necessarily picking it up as it was other people falling off. But because she stayed in it, because she just put her but it put her head down and just kept rolling you know good things happened in the end and to me there's there's so much there's so much to take from that but uh, the most obvious thing is that you know when you're in a race and things aren't going great or you don't feel maybe as good as you would like just just keep going just put your head down don't quit just keep going keep your sights set ahead on that finish line because I I do believe and I said this to and in my group or in an email to my group here in Austin last week I do believe we all have a little bit of Shalane in us if we're just willing to put ourselves put our head down and keep working in in races where they're going whether they're going good or bad for Shalane it earned her a medal for you it might earn you a PR or perhaps a breakthrough race of other of other varieties but that lesson (laughs) that lesson is so important that no matter what just keep plugging keep fighting so that i think makes a nice transition to the last thing that i think we can learn from shalane which is related and another quote from her She says, in the midst of an ordinary training day, I try to remind myself that I am preparing for the extraordinary. And she has another quote that she said in her career, which is, no excuses, just do the work. And I feel like this quote embodies what really we've talked about this whole episode, which is that that consistent, professional, hard work that's not sexy, that looks very ordinary from day to day and on the surface or from moment to moment. But that reminder that that ordinary work, that the little extras of, in her case, like Tara mentioned, getting to bed a little bit early, eating the right thing the night before, having time for her warm-up routine, spending all of those hours on the road getting in just consistent miles away from the camera all of that ordinary work leads to for her what became the extraordinary in an olympic medal in four olympic teams in four marathon major podiums in a new york city marathon victory that all make that ordinary work worth it and for those of us that are everyday runners who may not make olympic teams or have a chance to win in new york the extraordinary might look different as i've said it might look like a pr it look might look like a boston qualifier it might look like getting your first sub five hour marathon or first marathon or sub four hour marathon or sub two hour half marathon or maybe just finishing a marathon at all or finishing a half marathon at all that might be extraordinary for you but the foundation of getting to the extraordinary 
just looks very ordinary. And for those that are struggling to just do the work so that you can get to your potential, I would remind you of this quote from Shalane. In the midst of an ordinary training day, I try to remind myself that I am preparing for the extraordinary. And we all have our version of extraordinary to go seek. So make sure you do that ordinary work. So with that, I will wrap this episode, my ode to Shalane. And I hope you're able to draw lessons from her career. I'll also link to a couple of articles about her retirement in the show notes. One from winning women's running that I particularly enjoyed. And then I'll link to the SI article from Chris Chavez as well, because Shalane's career is one to be celebrated, one to be admired and one to learn from as hopefully you have through this episode. So thanks for listening. And of course, as always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.